Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We have a special episode for you today. Instead of our normal focus on a specific city, today we're focusing on the World Cup. Our guest is Subayan Mukherjee of WorldCupTravels.com, and he'll tell you everything you want to know about attending the next World Cup. The show notes will be available at WeTravelThere.com forward slash World Cup. Let's start the show. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Now, I avoid renting cars as much as possible when I travel, but sometimes you just need a car for a few hours. That's where Zipcar comes in. You can rent their cars by the hour or by the day, and both gas and insurance are included in one flat rate. Use our link to join at wetravelthere.com forward slash Zipcar to start out with $25 worth of credits in your bank. WeTravelThere.com forward slash Zipcar. So welcome, Shabayan. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking about the World Cup. Normally, we talk about cities and finding out the ins and outs of the best things to see, eat, do, and drink in a city. But today, we're focusing on something that comes around once every four years, the World Cup. And Shabayan is the expert at all these different exclusive events. I follow him on Facebook and my God, I just drool with envy. I see all the pictures of everything that he gets to do. And I just knew I had to have him on the podcast. Yeah, we've been to three World Cups. We started in 2010 and that one was in South Africa. Then we went to the one in Brazil in 2014. And recently we just came from the World Cup in Russia in 2018. And we're looking forward to going to Qatar in 2022. Yeah, so what was the impetus, what was the thing that really started getting you to go to the World Cup in 2010? What was the first thing that made that happen? Yeah, I was a big football, I mean, you call it soccer here, but football fan growing up. I grew up in Kenya, and my favorite player was Diego Maradona. So he, at that time, was coach of Argentina. Messi was the best player in the world. I said, you know, this is going to be a great World Cup. I want to see them play. So at that time, we didn't have any credit cards, actually, which is, <laughs> sounds so funny now, because now... You know, between us, we probably have 60, 70 credit cards. I don't know, between the business and personal, between my wife and myself. So we applied for the American Express Platinum at that point. It was a 25,000-point sign-up. Now it sounds shameful that I even applied for that card. But that <laughs> yeah. was the only card at that time that didn't have a foreign transaction fee, or one of the few that did not have a foreign transaction fee. So we applied for that, and we said, okay, we're going to see Argentina games. So we started booking the games. As we started booking the games, we realized the hotels were pretty much priced out. If you were paying cash, you were paying at least $500 a night on match day. Now, in future World Cups in 14 and 18, you're paying over $1,000 or $1,500 per night on match day. If you're paying cash, it's unaffordable. Then we started looking and saying, okay, we want to do this. How are we going to get there? Cash rate is too much for the flight. How are we going to stay at the hotels? We started researching about points and miles and signing up for credit cards and, you know, more research and blogs and kind of reading stuff. And slowly, slowly, we got into this whole miles and points game. Yeah, let me just pause for a second just to kind of catch the listeners up here, because maybe a lot of them aren't familiar with the value and benefits of miles and points. So Shabaya mentioned the American Express Platinum card and the no foreign transaction fee. Most credit cards today, they don't charge you if you buy something when you're traveling internationally. But a decade ago, it was pretty common that they would mark up the prices 2 to 3% to make up for the fees that they would have to incur in converting the currency. 
And then also when you talk about the bonus of 25,000 points, and nowadays, if somebody's going to apply for the American Express Platinum, really you're kind of looking for 75 to even 100,000 points is pretty much the barometer as far as what you want to wait for that type of bonus until you apply for the card. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so when we went to the World Cup in South Africa, we saw 12 games in the first World Cup, including the opening match and the final. And that was one of the most like life-changing experiences to be at a World Cup final, just because the environment, the people, and everyone was so friendly in South Africa. They were so welcoming. They were so happy that they were holding a World Cup, that the world was coming there. Same thing for Brazil as well, and Russia too. That's fantastic. I, knew, I remember, I think it was in South Africa when they had the Vuvuzelas, right? Yes, and it was extremely, <laughs> extremely loud. And you could do the... Like, like a horn. <laughs> and the whole stadium would go on. So it, it took a while to get used to it. But it, oh, yeah. it's a wonderful experience because they don't see that kind of traffic. I mean, if you talk about Russia recently, living in America, you hear all this negative stuff about Russia as this, Russia as this, you know, so communist, all that. You go there and all the people want is iPhone and McDonald's. That's it. I mean, it's just normal people that want iPhone and McDonald's. They want everything <laughs> we want. You know, they love Nike. They love watching YouTubers that we watch. They like watching MTV. I mean, it's completely it's like a European city. There is no difference. For sure. I actually had the pleasure of going to Moscow when I was a sophomore in high school one of the teachers at my high school had a trip that he planned every year during spring break. Right. And I brought a suitcase full of Snickers and Levi's jeans and other, whatever else was popular. I just brought those and we used those to exchange with the people that were in Russia because they just didn't have access to all those goods back then. And those were way valuable. I actually traded a pair of Levi's jeans for a Russian military's officer jacket. (laughs) (laughs) The world is such a fantastic place, yeah. I was 16 years old. I was in a bar because over there you can drink and you can go into bars when you're younger than 18 and 21. And I was standing talking to other people on my trip and I was wearing the jacket that I traded for. And there was a guy, he probably was a little drunk, so you probably didn't realize that I wasn't that old and you probably shouldn't have been wearing that jacket. And he just started talking to me in Russian and I had no idea what the man was saying. And then somebody kind of translates says, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, he thinks you're a Russian officer. He's saluting you. He's telling you, uh, you know, how proud he is of you serving in the military. <laughs> but like you said, it, it's going to these other cultures and experiencing what it's like to be there and just kind of broadening your horizon, right? Yeah, we've had some experiences like when I spent 20 days in Bora Bora with my wife or Maldives. We've been there two times, first time for 16 days, second time for 20 days. These are things we would never been able to pay cash rate because you're looking at about $2,000 a night for most of these overwater properties. So if you aren't doing the miles and points thing, you just, you can't get a redemption like this. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's been a huge value for my family as well. We haven't been as fortunate to do some of the overwater bungalows like what you're talking about, but I just booked a trip for St. Kitts for my family and me. It would have been about a $7,000 trip. And it said it was... 330,000 miles and points for us to go for a week. Yeah, it's a great experience. I mean, where else in the world can you play with sharks or pet lions? And (laughs) I got bitten bitten by a lion, but that's a different story. It was a little cub. It wasn't that bad. Okay. okay. Um, 
<laughs> but you can do this when you go to other countries. You know, in Bora Bora, you can play with the sharks. You can feed them. The little ones, you can... Well, don't try to pet them. They're still oh, yeah. sharks, right? They, yeah, they bite. Yeah. You can do these things. And here, all the experiences are limited because there's so much, you know, you can't do this, you can't do this. But once you start going outside, you realize like bungee jumping, like skydiving or like, you know, paragliding from the Corcovado in Brazil, you can do all these activities and it's completely different experience, something that changes your world. Exactly. Like, like you said, you've been able to go to three different World Cups now and, and planning for the fourth World Cup in Qatar. What are some of the fun stories that you've had in your experiences at these World Cups? I, I remember reading and I think even seeing on, on the TV about like the Japanese cleaning up the entire stadium after one of their matches. When you meet these people from different parts of the world, you realize how different people are. The Japanese are so respectful. You know, they lost the match and they should have been sad and messing up the whole stadium like the English do. But instead, <laughs> they went and they cleaned up everything and they put all the things back in the rightful places. They put the recycling and recycling, the trash and the trash. I mean, they're so respectful as a culture. And then you have the English that are pretty much hooligans and they continue that everywhere. Uh, we were at the England game semifinals and we were on TV <laughs> as well because we had front row seats for that match. And they love their football. You know, they love their football. They're passionate about it. When they lose, they're not happy. So you get to experience all these things. The Croatians, for example, no one expected them to make it to the World Cup final. So when they played France, almost everyone was actually supporting Croatia because you never think Croatia, this little country is going to make it to a final. So they had so much support, even though they were playing away from home. And for France, it was like, you know, they were confident and they wanted to win. And then when we went to the Red Square, the Red Square has so much history. You know, so many things have happened there over the years and completely packed. We're at the hotel, the National, which is on the edge of the Red Square. So you can kind of look into it. They blocked the road for seven hours because when Russia won their matches, people would come and stand on top of their cars and sing songs and wave the flag. And they were so excited and happy. And there were probably four or five million people in the Red Square area. Wow. Just celebrating from all over the world. You know, they were from Turkey and Africa and everywhere. Like you said, I, I mean, even if they weren't celebrating their own victory for their own country, they were celebrating victories from other countries. I remember seeing something on the news where I think it was Korea they yes. beat, I forget who it was that they beat, but the Mexican fans were happy because that allowed them to proceed on to the next phase, right? Yes, Korea beat Germany, who were the defending champions, 2-0, okay. which allowed Mexico, who had lost the earlier match, to go through uh -huh. to the knockout stage. So the Mexicans were supporting the Koreans in that game. <laughs> I was watching the Trevor Noah show and they showed a, a clip, uh, some Mexican fans, they, they were picking up this Korean guy and just like throwing him up in the air. They were so happy. It was <laughs> so now when we're talking about planning to go to Qatar, kind of walk us through how it is that you're planning as far as getting tickets, booking your flights, getting your hotel. If somebody else wants to go to Qatar and be there with you, maybe they can uh, sit next to you or wave to you in the stands. What is it that they can do to start planning for themselves to be able to, to attend? So you've got to plan at least four years ahead. So as soon as the World Cup venue is announced, the next one, which is Qatar, you kind of put your plan into action. First thing is, how do you get tickets? You can either get hospitality tickets, which are more, you know, higher end corporate tickets. And those sales start about three years before. 
So those are much easier to get. You can do payment plan on that and buy those tickets. Or you can get the regular tickets, which start about a year before. And then they're usually lottery, then first come, first serve, then lottery, then first come, first serve. And that's a much harder process. The second thing is the hotels. The hotels, they open about a year before. Those are very hard to plan because you don't know which matches you're going to go to. So you kind of have to know which tickets you're going after. And then you plan the hotels. And then there's the flight, which also opens about a year before. So once the venue is decided, now you have to see what airlines fly into Qatar. And then you start signing up for credit cards. You go for those retention offers. You go for the bonus spend. And you build up miles in the airlines that you think you're going to use for Qatar. So, for example, we'll probably be using either Emirates or Etihad or Qatar to fly out of Los Angeles. So I want to build up points in Alaska for Emirates, in American Airlines for Etihad, and American Airlines for Qatar. Now, if they change their alliances and stuff, then of course my plan would change. But as of right now, I'm just building up Alaska and American Airlines points. So if somebody wanted to fly from LA to Qatar, what kind of number of points are we looking at for each of those? Yeah, as far as I know, I think it's 110,000 for a first-class one-way flight from LAX to the Middle East. Okay. And that's for either Qatar first class or Etihad first class. You can also route that through New York, in which case you can fly the Etihad apartment. Oh, nice. So you could do LAX New York. And for our listeners, generally you're looking at, if you say you want to get an American Airlines credit card, the bonuses are generally in the range of fifty to 70,000 points. You can get them from Citibank or from Barclays. And we're going to have links for all those cards, all those options in the show notes. Yeah, you could sign up for one city and one Barclays, and you would have your 110,000 points. And if, you know, husband and wife do this, then you have enough to get there, and then you just have to plan your return. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that I heard that's different for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar is that it's now going to be in the winter versus the summer. Can you want to talk about that? Yeah, the temperatures in summer in the Middle East are very high. So you're looking at about 120 degrees, some places 130 degree temperatures. You can't play in these temperatures. So they have to move it to winter when the temperatures are much more reasonable. So it's going to be indoor stadium. So it shouldn't be a problem, but you still have to go from hotel to the stadium. You know, you can't survive 15, 20 minutes at 130 degrees. You just, you're going to have a heat yeah. stroke. <laughs> so this moving of the World Cup time is going to cause a lot of impact for the European leagues because they kind of have to plan this out over the next three years because they play during winter, okay. you know, December time. So they have to kind of make sure they're taking that one month break during the World Cup. For sure. So when you're there at a World Cup, obviously we're using airline miles and hotel points to reduce our travel expenses. But what are some of the things that you do while you're in a World Cup city to reduce the expenses while you're there? The first is calling. So... You need to make sure your phone, you can travel internationally. You're not getting charged for roaming. You have data service. So when we were in Russia, we can't communicate with anyone because no one speaks Russian, right? And most of them don't speak English. So we were using Google Translate. Now, when you have data, Google Translate works great. But when you don't have data, Google Translate doesn't work at all. So you've got to download an offline version of Google Translate to make sure you can communicate. Um, another way to reduce cost is what you eat, where you eat. Also, they have membership cards. Like in Russia, if you went to certain places, you would get a 10% off. You just have to go in and get the membership card. Like, you know, we have membership cards here for almost all the places. 
you know, you have to be aware of those things. And the second thing is always avoid tourist spots because the food and the service is always worse in tourist areas. So if you go to a local area and the menu is in Russian and it's just text, the food is almost always going to be better. And it's the same thing in Italy as well. We spent a month there. Wherever they had these big menus with photos and text, food was always worse. And when it was in Italian and just text and no photos, the food was always better and cheaper. Yeah, exactly. So you're paying more for worse food. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a bad equation in anybody's book. So when you mentioned the phone service, like I use T-Mobile and for the most part, everywhere I go internationally, the service is slower. It's you know, 2G or 3G speeds. But what type of cell phone service have you been using when you travel? I have the Google Fi and I also have T-Mobile. So what T-Mobile did for this World Cup is for that one month, they gave everyone 4G unlimited service. Oh, nice. So it was fast. You know, you could broadcast videos and stuff or do YouTube. And it was really great and no extra cost. Okay. No, that's good. We're going to have some other tips and tricks in the show notes. One thing I want to ask before we wind things down is obviously in America, we have a certain culture. We have certain societal norms as far as how to behave and everything. What are some of the things that you do to make sure that you're behaving and not crossing any faux pas in the country that's hosting the World Cup? Read up a little bit about where you're going. Like Qatar, for example, you know, drinking or unmarried people being together. That's a big problem in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Dubai, they're very liberal, but still, you know, you've got to be careful about these things. So just read up a little bit. The general idea is be respectful and kind of just see what people are doing and don't try to do, <laughs> don't try to do really crazy <laughs> things, you know? For sure. Yeah, I would say that, you know, obviously... You know, men and women, you have a closet full of clothes. Pick the things that are a little bit more conservative, right? Right. It's to respect. And then a lot of it is also just common sense. You know, it's like the golden rule, do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. So as long as you treat people with respect, show them a smile. And, you know, if you don't know something, admit that you don't know something. That goes a long way. Same thing as if you can learn a couple phrases in the language of the country you're going to visit. That goes a long way as well. It shows that you're at least trying to, to integrate. And people are generally very nice, very helpful, and they're welcoming. So if you go there with open arms and you're welcoming and you're smiling and you want to talk to them and you want to learn their culture and how they live, they'll welcome you. But if you are dismissive, you go there, you start putting them down, then of course they're not going to be friendly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, Americans, we have this bad reputation of being entitled when we travel internationally, you know, just remember, nobody owes you anything. Just like you said, be respectful. I look at it as it's an opportunity to learn and to try new things. And that's really kind of how you should approach it, right? You know, we've seen that with hotels, for example. World Cup is always full. Hotels are always sold out. Mm -hmm. You've got people that come in there and they want their upgrade. They want their sweet upgrade. You know, I'm a gold, I'm a silver, give me a sweet upgrade. You know, just be grateful they're letting you check in before four o'clock because the hotel is, <laughs> it's really sold out. Yeah. So if you go there and you start arguing, you're not going to get anything. Yeah. Shabayan, it's been great to hear about the World Cup. In the show notes, we're going to have a lot of other ideas and tips and tricks as far as how to have a best experience when you attend a World Cup or any of these other type of major events throughout the world. But we have a couple questions. Uh, we call it the final countdown. We have to tailor them a little bit different because we're not talking a specific city where this is more of an event. So, because you've traveled all over the world and you've seen some just amazing things. If there was one meal that you had 
in all of your travels, what's like the best meal that you've had and where is it at? The best restaurant I can think at the top of my head, actually two. One was Hollandaise, which was a restaurant Rio de Janeiro. And they had this lamb. It was slow cooked for 72 hours. And that was fantastic. And the other one was a pizza in Rome. And it wasn't a tourist spot. It was a little hole in the wall for the locals. And we walked mm-hmm. from the Waldorf Astoria, which was 15 minutes to this place in Rome. And that pizza was amazing. Never had pizza like anywhere. <laughs> well, that, that's great. You actually answered uh, one of my last questions, was the best place for pizza. But we actually stayed at that Waldorf. And for listeners, this is something that whets your appetite for traveling. One of the things that I found amazing when we stayed there was they actually had a pillow menu. <laughs> they had 13 different choices of pillows that you can select from, and the room service would bring these pillows up to you. I thought that was just amazing. The whole experience is completely different. You see the Colosseum, so much history. You go to Vatican, mm-hmm. which is the biggest museum in the entire world, and just to walk it, the things they have in there, the paintings, Michelangelo, Leonardo, I mean, where will you get this kind of exposure to global culture in one place? I just love it. You know, I don't know if you have young children or not, but I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and my approach with them is that my job is to make them the best humans possible. And by traveling with them, even at a young age, even if they're not going to remember it all, but just exposing them to different cultures, exposing them to different foods and different experiences, to me, is the best thing that I can do for them. Yeah, exposure to different cultures and different languages makes a person a better person and a more understanding mm-hmm. person because now you understand what the other person is coming from. Exactly. I mean, you don't always have to agree with people. Like Even you and I, I'm, I'm sure there's a handful of things, if not more, that we can find to, to disagree on. But the fact that we can share these stories and that we have some great experiences that we can share together, you know, we have that common bond where it can override any of the things that we don't see eye to eye on. Yeah, I mean, once you see, you go to Easter Island and you see the Mois, the place is very difficult to get to. There's not that much food there. Mm -hmm. But the cultural exposure and the experience of going there, it's different. And you start appreciating, you know, then you don't go to a place and say, I want to have my Big Mac. (laughs) You just, you deal with what you have, (laughs) whatever is there, you eat and you're happy just to be there. Because some of these places are difficult, like Bora Bora, for example, it's not an easy place to get to. Easter Island is not an easy place to get to. So you're just happy to be able to go to these places. Exactly. So, hey, Shabayan, it's been great to have you on the show. We could talk for hours about all the different places you've been to and all the experiences you've had. I would actually love to do that. We may actually do that off air. But what I want to do is just kind of wrap up. Again, we're going to have everything in the show notes for all the things we talked about. But you know, thanks again for being on the show. I just want to give you a couple minutes here to talk about what it is that you do. Know that you're developing a website for the 2022 World Cup. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the website is called worldcuptravels.com with an S, so worldcuptravels.com. And that's going to be about how to get to the World Cup, how to get tickets, you know, what do you have to do? How do you plan? How's the place? And then, of course, I have my Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash beblito, B-E-B-L-I-T-O. And, you know, that has pictures when we're traveling. We just kind of Instagram our experiences. And that gives you an opportunity to interact with people in real time. No, exactly. And I'll just end with this. There was a story at the World Cup with you. I saw all these pictures that you were taking at the World Cup. Can you tell me a little bit about that just to kind of wrap things up here? Yeah. So, you know, we gave our hat to one of the players in the final ceremony. And then he wore the hat and he took official photos at the World (laughs) Cup. So that was a nice experience. Yeah, that's great. Again, 
these unique experiences that are all made possible by the fact that you know some things about miles and points and know how to use them to the maximum benefit. It's fantastic. I know our readers are going to want to learn a lot about this. We may not attend the World Cup every four years, but I think it's something that it's kind of like a bucket list item to be able to attend at least once in your lifetime. So with that, thanks a lot. It's been great talking to you and we look forward to seeing you soon, buddy. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Attending the World Cup is definitely on my bucket list. The melting pot of soccer fans from around the world has to be one of the most exciting sporting events on the globe. And that the World Cup only comes around once every four years just adds to the suspense and drama of the matches. Shubayan is a wealth of knowledge, and I love his passion for the sport of soccer. So what is your favorite thing you learned about the World Cup? Please let us know in the show notes at wetravelthere.com forward slash World Cup, or log into the We Travel There podcast community on Facebook. Join us next time when Jay Kelly of Kelly Coaching teaches us where to climb ruins and jump into cenotes in Cancun, Mexico. We hope you join us when we travel there. <laughs>